VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, the theme is pressure on managers. Pressure full on, pressure released as well. We'll be talking about Steven Gerrard's exit at Aston Villa. Who next for them and what next for him? Brendan Rodgers relieves more pressure after another win for Leicester, their first away win of the season. Jesse Marsh was booed by his home fans. We'll review their defeat to Fulham. We'll also be talking about Nottingham Forest and Steve Cooper after they stunned Liverpool. Frank Lampard with another good three points at beating Patrick Vieira as Crystal Palace and we'll talk about the game between Spurs and Newcastle as well. This is the game. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft. It's Monday. I'm alongside Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. So naturally, it's going to be a good one. Although it hasn't been a great week for Steven Gerrard. We're going to start uh, with Aston Villa, of course. He was sacked since we last spoke after uh, their 3-0 Premier League defeat at Fulham last Thursday. In a statement, the Villa chief executive Christian Perslow said objectives had not been achieved under Gerrard. The former uh, England and Liverpool captain uh, led Villa to only 13 wins from 40 games during his 11 months in charge. Before we talk about Villa's game this weekend, Tony, the right decision to move on from from Gerrard for you? Well, I said the weekend before, I'd like to feel that he could get a bit more time, um, which is always a big ask in the Premier League if you're at the wrong end of the table and you're losing games and then you have a defeat that has an own goal in it, a sending off, you lose 3-0 at Fulham, the owner's there, and apparently, from what I'm told, the, the owner hasn't had too much to do to do with the coaching staff and Stephen Gerrard uh, over these, his period at the club. Um, it was inevitable that the change was going to happen. I feel sorry for him because he was an, an idol that I loved watching when he was playing for Liverpool. Um, he didn't quite manage like the player, you know, you expected. I, I saw interviews where I was a bit strange thing to say. I didn't like the way he handled Tyrone Mings when he took the captaincy away. I thought that was a mistake. Uh, as in, if you take a captaincy away from a player, it's maybe a good idea to move him out of the club. Now, some people might, might say that's a bit harsh, but a captain's a very important player. That, that We always undermine the uh, captains in football, and cricket is far more important, and in rugby it is. I think it's very important in football that if you drop... Look, Connor Cody going to Everton, the Wolves manager, whether you agree with it or not, didn't want him Bruno Large. He decides to loan him out to Everton because he didn't want him in the club. And I think Stephen should have done a similar thing with Tyrone Mings. Alison, did you cry tears into your Steven Gerrard 8 <laughs> Liverpool shirt after hearing the news? Uh, no, because it's been a slow, slow death. And when things happen incrementally, you don't get that emotional about them. He, right from the start, there were doubts about him at Villa. The people who watch Villa all the time would say, you know, just a few weeks into his tenure oh, we're not getting 90 minutes out of him. You know, there tends to be either a big push in the first half and then it dwindles, or the second half they react to something that went wrong in the first half. He doesn't seem to have 90 minutes of coaching in him. And that was before the current crisis. So you sort of feel, oh, no no one was totally buying it. And I think also, in spite of the fact he'd been to Scotland and been successful in Scotland, there was this overwhelming sense that he was someone learning the job. So you had him being relatively new coach there's always a bit of sniffiness about someone who was a great player getting a, a plum job and I know Tony you call it the silver spoon in your mouth syndrome mm. it does feel like you're getting blessed because of who you were as a player as opposed to proving yourself as a manager so 
there was that running along as a narrative all the time as well. And I just think that sense of him learning on the job and using the sort of vocabulary he used was was about getting more from the players as though there was a distance between what he'd achieved and was capable of and what they could achieve and were capable of. And you sometimes think, is he asking too much of young players who don't know how to do what he could do? Or does he not understand that if you're not as naturally blessed as he was, that you maybe need something else? What made him a great player doesn't necessarily mean the players he's got at Villa need what he got from his coaches through his life. So it just felt like he was learning his craft. And Villa fans didn't like the fact it was, no matter what anyone said, it felt like a stepping stone to the ultimate job of being manager of Liverpool, which is all these factors served to undermine him. And also I think his demeanour was fantastic in his first few weeks, but then he became stuck in the rut of just looking hang-dog and fatalistic. And even when he said words like, I'm a fighter, he didn't look like a fighter. So I didn't cry tears over my Stevie G shirt because it was it was on the cards for quite a long time. Mm. Well, neither he or Liz Truss are fighters. We now know that. But <laughs> at least Steven Gerrard wasn't a quitter, ended up getting sacked instead. Um, what's next for him? What do you think? That's difficult. I wrote about that um, at the weekend. That you know, it's true. All the everything that's just been said about the fact that you know, it's like uh, people seem to resent the fact that these big stars are given a silver spoon or given plum jobs when they're, people think they're not deserving of them. But it's hard. It's really hard to know what the alternative is as well. You know, like it, it's just totally unrealistic. Like the old days for managers to go down the lower leagues and sort of learn their craft, and it's a different world. To, to anything that they they experienced and and the standard they they are uh, familiar with, so Rangers was a was a good first job for him. I think Villa was a was a good as everyone was has been saying. It did feel like a stepping stone, and that's what a lot of the the Villa fans and and Villa as a club seem to kind of seem to resent come to resent a little bit. Um, but it was a good move for him. It was a great move for him. What what's next is is very hard to envisage. I think. You know, Jamie Carragher came out and said, "Is he going to the the choice for him now? Is 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 this is he a career manager? Does he want to do this for the for the next twenty years? If so, he may have to take a really good job in the Championship and prove himself and get them back into the Premier League. Uh, he may have offers overseas, but it, the feeling is with Steven Gerrard, who you know spent his whole career here, that the Premier League is where he wants to be." Um, so that's his choice or whether he's willing to hang on and hang on and wait for maybe I don't know in a similar vein to Frank Lampard getting the Everton job when they were in dire straits something else might come up and someone might look for a kind of talismanic figure to mm. come and uh, rejuvenate the club so that's his options he's got to hang, either hang around and wait for something like that or be kind of brave and say and back himself and say I've got to prove myself again a little bit like he did at Rangers although there's even even some kind of questions about the extent to which his, his time there should be seen as entirely positive. But he's 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 open about the fact he's not a hands-on coach. That's that's also very strange in the modern game now actually. So what so if, if you admit that then you're going to have to be incredibly charismatic I think. Mm. And much as I adored him as a player he's not a charismatic person. He's got presence. Mm. And he inspires as well. He's an inspiring player. He just didn't feel like an inspiring manager. It's very hard to say. I mean, look, his association with Liverpool seemed to have gotten it in his way. You know, it just did. Mm-hmm. Because it, every Liverpool the fan, the natural the procedure was going to be, well, when Klopp goes from the football club, Steven Gerrard, nothing in some ways Villa fans would get to be annoyed. Behold it a minute. He's at our football club. And now it's his time to be, do as well as he can for Villa. And and it just, I, I don't know. It's listen, a, Tony, I think the Villa fans that I've sp- spoken to, they sort of accepted that at the start because they thought if he's going to be a good enough coach that Liverpool wants him, then he would have been a brilliant manager for Aston mm. Villa. So we don't really have a huge issue with that. If he's so good that Liverpool can't turn him down, then that means that we're going to have a great few years under him. The thing is, uh, this is I, I'm not really sure, sure I, I can go full I told you so on this, but at the start, we said it was a risk. And the one thing that Steven Gerrard would need is time because mm. as well, well as... Well, he had nearly a year. Yeah. But, it, but for me... <laughs> 
it's it's similar to the Mikel Arteta situation mm. in that y- you know you know that you haven't got a manager with all of that experience it's his first job in the Premier League it wasn't like he was Rangers manager for five or six years either um, and so you, you, you kind of think it's not going to go perfectly the whole time and I know a lot of people can turn around and say well there's a minimum base for Aston Villa, but they were in the championship a few years ago. And if you're already saying, well, we need to be minimum mid-table, and I know they've got a very good squad, then actually I think you shouldn't be appointing Steven Gerrard in the first place. Like, if that was your uh, aspiration from the start, he was not the right... So, but as always is the case, too, there are, there are like broader questions about the way Aston Villa are run as a football club. Now, Christian Parcelo has absolutely got to come under some scrutiny now. You know, he trumpeted the arrival of Buendia... Uh, Bailey who was the third and one? Ings Ings to replace to Grealish replace, to re- yeah. you know after selling Grealish and they've all been disastrous it was very <laughs> it was very interesting to see I was at the game of the weekend that all three of those players flourished um, so you know there's always a balance like that so Villa as you're saying they're not really being an easy club to be manager of for a long long time and even under this new ownership yes mm. they've got all the money I think they're the 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 most the, the wealthiest owners after the kind of state owned clubs in the yeah. Premier League, but there's been some serious mistakes made there, mm. and is that's not Gerard's fault. And it's a bit like Scotty Parker when he was at Bournemouth and he done his final interview, and then he says, "Look, we need a better quality of player," and then Gary O'Neill comes in and they start getting that's results, true. and it undermines you as a as a coach because Steven Gerrard, uh, look, they hadn't spent lots of money in the summer and I know that they wanted to get a striker but Watkins wasn't his signing nor was Ings and they were desperate to try and get a striker. I guarantee, I guarantee you that Steven Gerrard's conversation would have been before Saturday or, you know, the weekend and just go, they'll turn up this weekend. That happens a lot with managers where their teams suddenly all turn up from, where did that performance come from? We've seen nothing to relate Villa ever getting a 4-0 victory. Um, and I, and I get, bet you guarantee you that Stephen Gerrard probably thought they'll turn up this weekend well, and Ings will score a brace and he's missed every <laughs> every chance that he's had in the last month or so he's missed. Ollie Watkins ain't got going. Yeah. You know, everything that, that's been the opposite what's happened this season happened in one game. Should say uh, it was a, a 4-0 win over Brentford, that result. All of those players you mentioned flourished. Um, Aaron Danks, the first team coach, oversaw the result. Villa Park was a very different mood. It's only their third win of the season. As you mentioned, Gregor, you went to to both uh, of their recent games and it was a very contrasting performances. Yeah, I mean, they were totally abject against Fulham. Fulham were brilliant. We should say that. Um, and it's also said, you know, it was a really strange... I felt a little bit sorry for him, actually, afterwards. He was, you know, wheeled out in front of the, the media and everyone was saying afterwards that they thought he he knew what was coming. I, I don't think that's true. I think he was he understood the situation. He made that very clear. He didn't know there was a phone call coming and, you know, 15 minutes later. Um, so I think that was a little bit cruel, really. That's football. Um, and the contrast was remarkable. I mean, as I just said, Bailey, who's been, you know, he's done nothing really, was incredible. He was outstanding. Um, Buendia in number 10, different player than, than anything, you know, than we've seen for Villa. Uh, Ings playing up. The one thing you have to say is a lot of fans have been calling out for a long time for Villa to play 4-2-3-1 because they feel it suits the players that they have. And that's what Danks did he made that change Villa, Villa often had just three in midfield and, and three up front and it didn't really seem to suit certainly the midfielders they had and possibly you could say Bailey and, and Watkins as well um, so it, it, the change worked Bailey oh. was brilliant brilliant on the left Watkins was excellent on the right Ings and Wendia linked up brilliantly and you know what can you say they scored three goals in 14 minutes and it was like wow Yeah, explain John McGinn yeah. being, being left out well you know that that was one of the calls. Villa Gregor was just talking there. One, the Villa fans were wanting John McG- John McGinn out the team, and mm. I think he's been a terrific player. What I've seen this season of John McGinn as he's become the captain, object. He's just not even been at the races, which has been really strange to see a pop player of that quality. Um, I, I th- maybe he didn't like being the teacher's pet. Yeah, because when when point. when uh, Gerard came in and there were some flaky performances that were saved by McGinn actually being uh, a dynamo in midfield and, and having that sort of... And everyone said, oh, he's got a bit of Stevie G about him, hasn't he? You know, the way he wears his heart on his sleeve and he mm. feels so passionately about the club. And he did seem to single-handedly 
grind out a few results for Villa. And then he's promoted as captain by the manager that people are falling out of love with. I don't know, but if you're if if you if you feel the pressure of that, it might affect your performances. Mm. So maybe he was right to drop him, Danks, because it was weighing on him this sense of being teacher's pet, and and maybe he didn't want to be captain. Okay, so what about this scenario? You've dropped one captain in Tyrone Mings. You've named another one, which Stevie G has done, but Stevie G didn't want to drop his second captain. You know, quite clearly, he stayed with him. So he's not been prepared to go, you're not playing well, you're out of the team. He was subbed five times in his 11 Premier League games, John McGinn. Captains don't get subbed that often. It's very Jordan re- Henderson does. Well, yeah, yeah. look, that's for different reasons. But generally, a, a player at 27 years old, which I think John McGinn is, you know, he's not going to be dropped too often. But I thought Gerard didn't want to get in the scenario of saying, well, hold it, end of, end of last season, you made a change during the summer, you've changed your captain, Tyrone Mings was out of the team, and then he gets to a new captain and he's got thinking in his head, I can't drop my captain again. You need the old club captain scenario. A little Cesar Aspilicueta doesn't mind being on the bench, you know, and then just give the armband out to whoever on the Saturday. To be fair, he could have dropped anyone. Villa were Villa being woeful. Um, he tried to make a change against Fulham. He brought in Bednarek and put Konza on uh, right back, yeah. and it just it backfired, you know, really badly because Willian was produced to have a performance that no one thought was possible again. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of skinned them down the left in the first half, and he brought Matty Cash back in at half time. So, he, look, he's he'd been looking for solutions to to find a way out of the hole, and and he he couldn't find them. And as you say. Like the uplift was just remarkable. It was like you saw this liberation, and it's not uncommon. We've seen it many times before, but I just can't remember having seen it in so many players and so quickly. It was it was pretty it was a pretty amazing place to be actually in that first fifteen minutes. Where now for Aston Villa? There were links to Mauricio Pochettino. Don't know if he'll take the job. I actually think he it would be a good job for him, but um, some saying that he you know wants to be in a, a well, higher be, level. It would be a job for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, how long, just been how long is he going Paris, to stay out for? He's been coaching Paris Saint Germain. I mean, it's Aston Villa still, so he might have higher, more lofty aspirations, like a Champions League club, possibly. Well, Emery went to Arsenal from PSG. It's not. It's, it's dissimilar. So, well, <laughs> it, it is. Come on, Arsenal and Aston Villa. The, I think the project, the the building of a project would be something good for Pochettino. I think he could harness that sense of the community, the, the togetherness of a, a football club and, and help him in that way. And I think there are good players at Aston so, Villa as well. But I don't think, you know, even if he goes there, I'm not going to say they're going to be a top four. So, I don't think he's taking that. I don't no? think he's taking that. Where's he going to end? Oh, well, if he's not, who is then? Can uh, I just well, say they've, they've, they've been linked with the, the sporting manager. Ruben uh, Amorim. Yes. Yeah. So, and, you know, there's been a report he's got a 10 million euro uh, clause in his contract. So, uh, look, so it's amazing as well after, you know, a guy who no one had heard of in Danks before. Some some people are still managing to ask the question after the game, like, you know, do you think you've got a chance? <laughs> 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 well, you got to ask it the was some, It was some game, you know, some first game in the dugout, but, I mean, come on, let's be realistic. Are we all saying that Poch is too good for Aston Villa? No, I'm not saying that. I just don't think he's going to take the job. I think he probably has got higher aspirations. He probably thinks he's well, been working in the Champions League for, what, six, seven years? Yeah, he got sacked at PSG, and PSG had lost the title to Lille as well in the time he was there as a manager. Um, they had a horrendous time in the Champions League, which they were quite cruising for a period and then get knocked out. You know, Poch's job, do I think he's a good coach? Yeah, quite clearly. And I think he's for certain projects yeah I, I get it but I don't think he's too big for Aston Villa at all I wouldn't go down that road because he hasn't really won anything uh, he's, he's won the French League in, in France he's won the Cup as well but you know PSG really have to win everything you know in, in, the, in France I think the theme's going to be pressure, pressure on, pressure off. It was too much in the end for Gerard at Aston Villa. They move on and they pick up a big three points this weekend. Big three points for Leicester as well. They picked up their first away Premier League win of the season. Uh, thrashing Wolves, moving off the bottom of the table as well and out of the relegation zone. Is the pressure totally off Brendan Rodgers, Alison? Well, it's off for now. If they string together a couple of you know, defeats and drab draws and it'll be back on but he's come through that that wall of people like me saying oh he's gone you know tomorrow morning he'll be gone but there was not the will to sack him um, emotionally or financially it seems and he stayed and the act of staying can have two effects you can you can you can 
make it work or you you just go into a spiral of, of awfulness. And they didn't go into a spiral of awfulness. I think they've been quite lucky with their fixtures, who they've come up against. But I mean, I know, I mean, Tony, you said it week in, week out. They've got, they've got some excellent players at Leicester. It was ridiculous. Mm. And the reason, the reason I thought he'd go was because there's no excuses at Leicester. There's some great, great players, particularly in the forward line. Yeah, well... It, look, look at the goals. I mean, the classy, classy finishes of hmm. the weekend. I mean, there are players that, that you'd, you'd lust after if you were any other manager apart from outside the top four, maybe. Really yes. lust after. So that the differential between what he had and where he was in the table was so huge, I felt he should go. But if they can start clicking again, then they'll probably rise at the table quite quickly and he'll be fine. Uh, the vultures would be hanging over Leicester City if they was ever going to get rid of their manager and thought they could take some of their players. I mean, Wolves would love to have had Avardi or even in Hinacho is not playing. Daka, Madison, Barnes, all of them are going to get you goals. And I was chatting to Gregor last week about this and we we're talking about teams that could go down. I just said, I can't believe that that team could go down with forwards that offer so much that can win you games. Look, they've got the perfect opposition. They're playing a team that couldn't buy a goal. you know. But Wolves would love to have any of them forwards that I've just mentioned. Wolves were the better team in large parts of that match as well, which is kind of weird. Yeah, you've never seen the that. There's never been a, a game that kind of underlines how much goals change games. Like, yeah. I think Steve Davis said they had seven attempts in the first 15 minutes. They were really on top. There's a good graphic in the, in the, in the game today as well, saying I think they had like, 21 attempts or something and, and Costa had eight himself um, but you know Tielemann's moment of magic what a strike and then Barnes just kind of absolutely burns Johnny and yeah. they're 2-0 up that's you know it's a long way back for them and just sucks the atmosphere and the confidence and the life out of, of uh, Molyneux so yeah Tony's bang on they've got players that can do that we've always known they were there they just haven't been doing it <laughs> um, so if they you know a few of them start to find form um, and they're looking a little bit more solid at the back. You know, Faish at the back is. I think yeah. he's been a, made a made a, a big improvement. I think they've got four clean sheets in the last five games. Um, I still think they're short there. Like Amarty, he might have he might get away with it for a few games, but he's not a central defender in the Premier League. Johnny Evans isn't fit. They're struggling. Uh, so long term, they still need I think to 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 be more solid at the back, but. Um, no, I don't think they're going down. Steve Davis in charge of Wolves until the new year is a very big call for a Premier League club to make, though. Do you think that decision may uh, risk their top flight status? It's hard to ever judge, and it's a bit unfair because I don't know him. And watching, I do. W- oh, you do? What yeah. do you ask? Go on, the then, Gregor. Then, Gregor. <laughs> he was my manager at Crew Alexandra. It's been very, it's been really bizarre actually to see him elevated to this. Point. And Scott Sellers, who was assistant man- manager when I was at Chesterfield, is the guy who's now they're they're all calling 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 his name from the stands in not uh, not pleasant terms. He's the technical director, and he's kind of been elevated from the academy academy role under Jeff Shee. And if you, I think the fans feel have done that on the cheap. He's kind of climbed the ranks. Mm. Uh, Kevin Thelwell, I think it was that that left, and Shee's taken on a lot of the responsibility himself, along with George Mendes, as we know. Um, so yeah I've seen these two guys who I've worked with in lower league football now running a Premier League club it's quite odd that's where you you should be Greg (laughs) at least Scottish Premiership I know for a fact they were down the pub last night saying that Gregor Robertson (laughs) he's going to hammer us he was was a so-so player and now he's on the game podcast I can't believe it (laughs) so so ultimately the question what Hugh was asking so tell us what what do you think is going to happen between now and well Davis is a coach I never thought I don't want to be derogatory here because he's he's a really, he's a nice guy. I don't think that man, being a manager was his forty. He was a coach. He was good in the training ground. The, the truth is, a lot of people who come through Crew as a football club, that's that's the case. James Collins, his assistant, was at Crew as well, so I know him as well. He's a coach. I wouldn't see him standing in Wolves' changing room with Diego Costa and some of the big players they have there and having all that much authority. I I don't see that as a slight to him. But I think that would be the truth. Um, he's a good coach, but I don't think that's what they need right now. They need someone who's going to kind of. But they were organize. embarrassed. I think they said that about keeping him till the end of the World Cup because they were embarrassed that they weren't getting. Well, they were turned down quickly. by two. No one turned, wants to be turned, turned down. down by Nobody wants to Lopetegu be turned down. and Mick Mick Beale. Beale, yeah. So it's like, where, where do and we go from here? And that was really public. The whole Beale thing was yeah. so public. And basically, what they've been told. Basically, Beale saying no means effectively whether 
Beale meant it this way or not, it effectively means someone is saying, I have more chance of being in the Premier League next season, staying in a championship club than going to this this particular struggling Premier League club because mm. they're going in the wrong direction. That's, that's you know, your dirty linen in public being washed. Do they, that's why they said, oh, we're not looking for a manager now. See, I it's would... It's embarrassing. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, look, you can get in a lot of trouble in October because there's a lot of games. So if you're going to prepare to take the risk to get to the new year, and yes, because of the World Cup, and think you're going to get more time. I know from being in football a long time, and as all of us do, that every job that comes up, there is loads of applicants. Now... You've got to interview quite a few people, but you'll have a really good choice of managers that you believe could do, which is the job of keeping Wolves up this season. Now, to say go into the new year, if it's a dreadful October, you could be quite a well, well adrift. So that's a big call for the club to make for me. It's just all very confusing. Like, we're talking about Edwards, who was sat by Watford coming in and a sort of interim assistant basis as well, because yeah. he used to work there years ago in the academy. Like what you know, even McBeal was a massive yeah. pivot yeah. from what yeah. they've been doing. So like, there seems to be a, a lot of confusion at the at the top of that club, and that doesn't bode well. And I think they really thought after seeing Davis doing you know leading the team, they did not bad at Chelsea, and then they got a win. I think they probably thought you know we can probably get we can probably just get by until the World Cup. I think they've had a rude awakening now. Maybe they're not on the same page at Wolves. According to Jesse Marsh, Leeds are all on the same page. Uh, he says we're completely united. He talked about the fans. Uh, he also spoke about the players, the hierarchy at the club. You know, I saw the word alter trending at the weekend. Um, Jesse Marsh is under huge pressure and does face, I think, a pretty uncertain future. Um, Fulham coming from behind to win at Ellen Road at the weekend and it left Leeds in the Premier League's bottom three without a win in eight games, six of those being defeats. Booze ringing around Ellen Road at full time. Is he going to be the next manager to go, do you think, Alison? He's the victim of... He's the victim of masochism. I don't know how you manage in that environment. Leeds fans, they've done it before. They're doing it again. They want they want it to all go wrong. They're urging it to go wrong. <laughs> if you're singing Bielsa's name when you're in a relegation fight, well, I mean, you're only going to make it worse because you, it's by by Jesse Marsh failing, it makes Bielsa look even more like a god. It's like all that matters is the is the legacy of Bielsa. It's like some sort of cult, some sort of mad religion oh, going on. Oh, this is bold. This is bold stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. It's utterly ludicrous. I, can't, I cannot put myself in the shoes of a supporter, a supporter, who, when the team are fighting in an important game where you think you can win, yeah, they should be able to beat Fulham. They should be able to beat Fulham. And that, that you, you, you're hearing negativity from the stands, and the manager, no matter what you think about the manager, he's not done anything ridiculously wrong. He's, he's got a very, very weak... I think he's got the weakest squad in the Premier League, actually. If you look at their lineup, you think nobody, nobody's, nobody covets anyone here. They look depleted to me. They look, look just like a, a championship um, club in terms of the personnel they have. And he's doing his best. He's trying to be slightly imaginative with what he's got. And he's hearing the fans calling for... The guy he replaced, what that does not—he's not coming back, Bielsa. So there's absolutely no point. There's no point doing it, and it's slightly crueler than the Villa fans singing "You're getting sacked in the morning" to Steven Gerrard because that's a relationship between them and him, and it's very specific to that. And they're just voicing the fact they think this has gone wrong. This is this is really peculiar masochism. It's like, like I say, it's like they want it to go. They don't want him to succeed because if he succeeds, that's just ever so slightly dilutes what what Bielsa did, and we don't want that happening, do we? Okay, I, I'm going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree with that because when they beat Chelsea, the actually the way that that felt was like they'd moved on that day. That that's what all the kind of local reporters, all the. All the, all the kind of fan sentiment in the aftermath of that game was that today was the day that we left Bielsa behind and we welcomed Jesse Marsh. And the problem is it's gone tits up. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, you know, he's saying he's not done anything drastically wrong. I have sympathy for him because 
we've seen flashes of what he wants his team to look like. Chelsea, Arsenal last week. Yeah. They were good. Mm. Um, but they, def- they they can't defend. They couldn't defend under Bielsa. And a lot of that was put put down to the way that they, he set the team out. Man marking ridiculously kind of wild, yeah. you know, buccaneering football. It's also because they have rubbish defenders. They have defenders who are at best championship players. And they've never, never improved their back line. Mm-hmm. So there, a lot of these goals are the goals they conceded oh, against Fulham were absolutely. just so 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 poor horrendous so Jess, you know Jesse Marsh wants aggression and energy and like you know front foot football that's what Leeds are all about and then they can see goals and it just sucks it's the same as Wolves it just sucks the life out of the, the team it sucks the how life out of the stadium how are you disagreeing with me then because if any manager has goes eight games without a win in the Premier League they're almost certain to be gone so he's Whatever happens, he's got to find results or else he's off. But how much responsibility of the of that run do you it's put to him? It's the same with every club. There's always there's always mitigating factors. So they can't score goals. They're still relying on Patrick Bamford. Like I, I absolutely put that down to the to the people who run the club. So I, I'm saying I have sympathy for Jesse Marsh, but he's got to do something to find a way to get a result and to find a way to stop conceding the goals they're conceding. So. Well, a little bit unlucky with Rodrigo, who got injured, and then he come back at the weekend. Yeah, and... they were saying he was going to have a good season. I think yeah. still, that was his fifth goal of the season. Yeah, Bamford's come back, and like I think I read again that he's again he's tops the the list of like big chances missed. He's yeah, got f- personal XG of four and not scored a goal. Like, but what, you've got to say, it's, it's so familiar. Bamford, he's not fit at the moment. He played, I think, 64 minutes. It wouldn't minutes. matter if he was fit. It's so familiar. No, but listen, when he came back into the team, even he's coming back from, from the injury, in terms of how high up the pitch they're able to play, he moves them up the pitch. More touches in the box usually when he plays, not just for him, but the, the players also in the front line with him. You know, he is currently a very good player at this level once he's fit and fine he'll be even better he is just not the goal scorer and he never really has been you know we speak about he's not the quickest he's not the strongest but he's an intelligent player he helps their forward line if he had been fit all season and really fit you know at top level they're a different team I'm not saying saying that he would have scored a bucket load but the results of the team might have been better my only point is how can Leeds United still be in a position to be relying on Patrick Bamford to score their goals and how can Leeds United still have Liam Cooper as their centre half and their captain and Koch who's come in and like really flattered to deceive he's done okay they're playing strike at left, an auxiliary left back, and the only other left back they have is Firpo, who's mince. So like, <laughs> they, they can't defend. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> they can't defend. Yeah, so I, I, I don't like to take people personally like that, but it's been so, it's been so like obvious and glaring ever since they've been in the Premier League, and they've done nothing about it. Now it's That's a, not Jesse Marsh's fault. It's a, it's a tricky one that if you said. You know, pick every Premier League team, and you go right. Name your best two players from your 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 group of players. Okay, you said Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. They were quite clearly the best two players at Leeds. You've ended up selling them. If you did that at every club, if I was to say, I don't know, let's go Man City, let's get rid of Ireland, and we'll get rid of De Bruyne, would that come at a cost? Absolutely. You know, any manager will say to you, we can't get rid of them. Leeds have sold them, got lots of money, and I think Aronson's done okay. Looks yep. a real live wire, looks a decent player. Rodrigo's got going where after a period of been not looking like he's going to get many goals. But generally, I think they've paid a heavy price for selling two very important players, influential players at Leeds United. And you compound that with, as Gregor said, that defensively, they're awful. But if you're awful defensively, you have to do something about it as a coach. You know, you can't concede three goals and expect to win games. You're, you're going to pay a heavy price. A little bit of praise for Fulham. Uh, played well yes. again. Uh, back-to-back wins for them. Six goals scored in those two games. Looking pretty healthy. Willian, where's he come from? <laughs> Brazil, I think. Well, well, yeah. He got, he got chased out of Brazil. His family received death threats. You know, he's had a tough two years. He had an awful season at, at Arsenal where he was being pilloried. Yeah. He went. He went back home to Brazil, and he had an old, you know, I think it was not a great time you know, on the pitch, but not disastrous. But still, for some reason, he was getting targeted, and and he felt he had to leave. He said, "I'm never going back to play in Brazil again." So, I think people, when they saw him arrive, were thinking, "Really, 34 Willian after after that?" 
but the last two games he's been outstanding and Fulham has just seemed able to kind of switch one or two players and still 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 mm. kind of reach the same standards um, no, no, they've, they've been brilliant they were excellent against Villa as well yeah Mitrovic is I mean Rafa Benitez I always got frustrated with him at Newcastle when he deemed him not really good enough Um and he's a player that's got an incredible amount of goals for Serbia. He's done it on all different levels. And even when he was at, uh, in Fulham and the last time, when Scotty Parker had him, Scotty Parker used to drop him quite often in games, especially towards the end when they got relegated. And I always just think, strange thing to do, drop someone who, you, who can take a chance. He's not the quickest, but he causes problems. And he sort of fits into the way that Fulham play. I thought he would do well to get 10 goals for Fulham this year. He's nearly on that now, isn't he? What's he got? Nine nine Premier League goals? I've tipped him to be the golden boot winner at the World Cup. Oh. If you want to know why, one reason why Fulham are doing really well, you watch the number of um, goal celebrations where all the players run to Marco Silva and give him a hug. They are a very happy club and they haven't been a very happy club mm. for quite a while. So answer, answer this, Al. So how comes when he was at Everton, there seemed to be a really bad relationship with the Evertonian or the Everton players and him? He had a very difficult time at Everton. Who doesn't? Football's a mystery. No, <laughs> but, but football's a mystery like that, though. So sometimes it's just like relationships and the way that they're not thrown together. I mean, also, he's he's achieved something last season there. You don't do that. Yeah, they know. They, they know him now. Yeah. They know him. Yeah, I just. You know he's successful with his methods. They've bought into him. But there's some, there's that extra thing. I bet if you analysed every single goal celebration this season in the Premier League, there would have been more involving the manager of Fulham and the manager of any other club. Okay, mid- we'll look it up with Opta, find out the stats. Go on. I was just going to say, that we've said about... <laughs> Is uh, that a stat? Polina. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alison Radstat. <laughs> I was just going to say, we've said about Paulina and Reid before, but I just they get better and better. That's yeah. a, that is a brilliant pairing. And Pereira in front of them is growing with every week. He is, yeah. So, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed. I mean, like I said, when Fulham went down... I couldn't believe that Harrison Reed didn't get picked up by a Premier League club. Absolutely. I just I, I just watch him every week and he's a he's a Premier League player. Uh, great once again and yeah, it's all clicking except for that one-on-one Andreas Pereira. Absolutely <laughs> just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Just as a former Man United player, just you got to put that away. Anyway, um listen, that is our first half of the podcast. Much more still to come. Remember if you're enjoying it, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, we'll be talking about Nottingham Forest, huge win for them, Everton and Newcastle as well. 
at the city ground this weekend, beating them 1-0, leaving them 12 points behind the leaders as well. It was a massive result for everyone involved with Forest. They they did ride their luck at times, uh, thanks mainly to Virgil van Dijk. Um, but it is now just two goals conceded in their last four games, Tony. When you compare that to the 16 conceded in the four games before that, it's kind of easy to know where the changes uh, have paid dividends. Really? Did you watch the game? You just said at the start of that. that sorry. I've never seen a team defend so badly from set pieces. And keep a clean sheet. And keep a clean sheet. Uh, clean sheet. A clean sheet. Um, I was shocked what I was witnessing. I kept thinking, well, if Forrest defend like that from set pieces, they're going to lose a lot of games between now and the end of the season. You can say brilliant character. Everyone kept going. The boy Yates in midfield, Cook at the back. Dean but, Anderson. Yeah, Dean Anderson in goal did brilliantly. But for a team to give so many chances away and Liverpool, Liverpool not punish them, um, I thought this result was a really weird one because that's the worst I've seen Liverpool play for a long time. And there was a lot of experienced players that were really poor for Liverpool. But Forrest kept in the game. But this wasn't a performance that was tactically brilliant. This isn't a big praise from me because what I witnessed was you're going to get beat a lot of times between now and the end of the season. Tony's animated, guys. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> well, no, I'm not, I'm not coming from being... Like, Liverpool. Liverpool. No, yeah. Liverpool, that's my club, OK? Um, I don't want to take anything away from Forrest, but if any Forrest fan thinks that that performance is going to get them results during the course of the season, you're wrong. You can't <laughs> keep giving chances from every set piece. But it will oh, give well, them a yeah. boost, won't it? Because yeah. they beat Liverpool. Yeah. So even, yeah, if, were, even uh, if they shouldn't have beaten Liverpool, what that will do for their self-confidence is palpable, surely. And you're bang on about set pieces, but I think from open play, they've defended considerably better than they have been. And a lot of mm. that is because they've gone to four at the back, three in front of them, they've kind of... They're willing to sit and soak up more pressure. They're far less open, particularly like through the centre of the pitch. So many times the back three have just been exposed mm. up until now. So, you know, that for- formation change, I think he probably deserves a bit of credit for. Um, and then they're trying to play in the counter-attack. Mm. I wanted to talk about Ryan Yates, though, because he's like... He's one of those players where the Forest fans haven't even been, been a big fan of him for so long. He's one of the... That sometimes happens when an academy player comes through. There are players with more ability you know far flashier um, and he, and when the club's not the team's not going well they, they want somebody to get on the back of yeah. and it's been him for a long time but every single ma- I've obviously been through a lot of managers and every single manager has picked Ryan Yates and he kind of he's growing even in the Premier League you know Joe Worrell's been dropped he's the captain he's wearing the captain in the Premier the captain's armband in the Premier League for his, for his local club and Steve Cooper came out and praised him afterwards he's got some heart and like his kind of energy, his fitness, his industry, all those things. It doesn't matter what level he's playing at. He ran all over Liverpool's midfield. And he stood out. He was probably the best player on the pitch. Um, a friend of mine coached him in the academy uh, at Forest, and he said when he was like sixteen, him and Ben Brennan and Diaz, they were the two. He said like, whatever you ask them to do, they will do it. They'll run. They will two foot their own granny. <laughs> and you know it's taken a bit of time but it's proven to be the case yeah. it's all about attitude at the end of the day and he's got as good an attitude as any footballer anyone who's worked with him has ever seen before uh, I, when Forrest attack I don't know if you've seen the film Jumanji but you know when the board game <laughs> the music starts coming out of it like you get that feeling inside the city ground that something pretty big is about to happen a stampede might run yes. through your, your living room in a moment which I think they need to sort of harness that if they're going to well, you is, know it's interesting you said, that is why I didn't have them as at the start of the season as a club to go down I thought their their home atmosphere would see them through and if they can keep that going Winning when they perhaps shouldn't, but be, you know there was this force of will, mm. which is yeah. in stark contrast to what you hear from the Leeds United fans. Is this, <laughs> this, it doesn't matter how shite they've been; they give them the support. Yeah, they've stuck by them. Stuck by them. Yeah. Stuck by Cooper. In fact, you could go as far as to say they kept Steve Cooper in a job. Mm. If they'd start to turn on Cooper, I'm pretty sure Maranakas, the owner, would have pulled the trigger. He would have been happy to. Um, but uh, he's got a bit of extra time, and he's got a massive win. Did we write off Forest too soon, or do you think they're still? No, be... I think they're still in trouble. I no, it's not a. I understand that the, the courage and the performance, the determination, people like Yates that Greg is talking about. I get all of that, 
The thing is, Liverpool are easy to play against at the moment. That's clear as day. Just look at the teams they've played this year and teams have played really well against Liverpool and Liverpool have been found wanting. You know, every Liverpool fan should have a really be concerned, really concerned about how they're getting beat. And this has become a bit of a common theme this season. Really quickly, there's a lot of experienced players playing really poorly for Liverpool. No, so there's no a, Thiago there's again. A, yeah, it's a fragility thing now because Thiago got an ear infection, didn't he? And so that was a last yeah. minute blow <laughs> on the day. And it should never you matter. Said the in the report today. Should <laughs> never matter. Should never matter if one player no. gets an earache. No, but, like Liverpool. But it's like you, if you have so many blows, so many knocks, hmm. both with results, performances, and injuries, and then you get another one on match day, you probably get that sort of complex hmm. about it. I felt, I felt Liverpool just felt a bit picked on by the gods, and that's. <laughs> I saw an ex-Liverpool player, I'm not even going to mention their name at the weekend, but they remarked about uh, Thiago's uh, reported ear infection by saying, you know, that's something that your kid comes home with. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's hospital, not a proper... I've had an ear infection. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's more painful than childbirth. So shut up. Shut up. is it? Yeah. Well, I can't answer that one, but I can say say it's very painful. (laughs) Painful result for Liverpool this weekend. uh, Beaten away at Nottingham Forest, but great for Steve Cooper. And another manager who I think received uh, the support that he needed at the right time, particularly from his home fans, was the Everton boss, Frank Lampard. He continued their resurgence. Uh, and also ended a run, in fact, of three straight defeats with an impressive victory over Crystal Palace at Goodison Park. What do we make of Everton so far this well, season? Well, here we have. Here we have a manager who is visibly learning the, the craft of being a manager in front of our very eyes. And the comparison with Stevie Gerrard is is really tempting because I don't think Stephen Gerrard handled what he said and how he said it as things were going wrong for him. Whereas, and Frank Lampard in the past has said things that, you know, haven't quite sounded great, like he was being defeatist or what just didn't sound great. He's learned now. He's un- He understands the club and he's learned and he's managed to keep Everton through their bad patch, not feeling like they were in a bad patch. He has done that. It's not quite smoke and mirrors, but he's done that thing where he's looked confident, sounded confident, Sounded like you know we've got a long term thing going at this club. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna improve. We're gonna get better, and he's brought everyone in on it. So he hasn't had booing, and the players don't look like they want to do anything other than do really well for him. So this felt like a result that was coming, and if there had been a crisis, I don't think anyone would have noticed there was. Down mainly to the fact of how Frank Lampard explained defeats and sounded like he's being really honest when they hadn't played well but that which meant that you believed him when he said they hadn't got the result but they had played well and things would come together and they'd been unlucky with injuries and that was proven out because now they've got uh, Calvert-Lewin starting they can look like they're sharper so he's it's it, very much I think Lampard is is three years maybe slightly more ahead of Steven Gerrard in terms of how to navigate the world of difficult times in manage, your managerial life could Stephen G and Frankie Lampard manage together? <laughs> no. It's what England, it's what England fans want, I think. Um, what, what I would say is that he's done a mini Arteta. I, think, I felt that Tarkovsky uh, coming into the club and Connor Cody uh, as a centre-half pairing has worked brilliantly. He knew that Keane and Holgate were not the solution going into this season. Onana coming into midfield has added plus. Alex Awobi, who isn't he... he you know, we talk about players who have changed their career and where did that come from? We talked about, you know, over the weeks about Xhaka at Arsenal. Where does this come from? You could put Almeron in there. You know, his performances for Newcastle. Where does that come from? Awobi's for me is that player at Everton. He's coming. He's done tremendous for them in a role that Frankie Lampard has designed him to, 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 to do. And with that, keeping Anthony Gordon at the football club, you know, that Chelsea were trying to get him. All these things put together, you feel like, as Alison said, he's moulded a team in there now that have got a lot of legs. They can get around the pitch and they're really good at doing that. So there's a lot better team in there. See, I find this fascinating. <laughs> Everton before the weekend were a point ahead of Leeds and Villa. And yet there was, and they'd lost three games in a row, 
and yet there was no conversation about because Frank Lampard. Because of his demeanour. Exactly. You, make, you well, made good points. He's, he's, I had you know, the conversation the, the week before. The atmosphere at the club is so important. It's so important. And Frank Lampard, you're right, he has done something to kind of get the... to manage. He's able, been able to get the, the supporters on side. He's signed players who are making a difference. And like, yeah. I feel that almost the, the supporters can... Can relate to as well. They they see their sort of their effort and they're going out and they're leaving everything out on the pitch. That's so important. But it's the the lines are the margins are so fine. Yeah. Like if they'd lost this game, they they would, Frank Lampard's yeah. the, the the guy we're talking about all week about yeah. the next one on the chopping block. You know, well, like, can, it's okay. it's so it's it's very fragile. And well, look look look, look another comparison is with Jesse Marsh because they they were the two managers who at the at the death saved their teams from the drop last season. Mm. But one of them has managed to turn that into a positive and the other, it's hampering him. It's a weight round his neck. If you go back to the weekend before, Palace were one point in front of Aston Villa. Patrick Vieira was deemed to have a, be doing a great job. Oh, that's complete smoke and mirrors. No, Palace. yes, but this is, what, this is what I'm saying is that, you know, such fine lines between people week in, week out that we're talking about. There's a total love in for Vieira and the results aren't there. It's mm. very strange. Go on. Yeah, I think it's a bit harsh. I think Palace. Are, we spoke of them last yeah, week. Yeah, I yeah. think they're one they're of the most interesting. They're very pretty. They're very pretty, and they're interesting. But I, I would say they're not. They're not out of trouble. No, I mean, look. This is what we're learning. I think there's not very much between a lot of the clubs outside, probably the top eight. Mm. There's not much between them. You know, there's going to be a few who are guaranteed to be in the in the shake-up for you know battle and relegation, and then there's the rest of them are always going to be two two bad results away from getting sucked Vieira into. Yeah, admitted mm. his team didn't have the appetite. They couldn't match Everton's appetite. That is, I think that's quite an admission, but he won't get any criticism for it. Mm. We should also quickly say that Gordon's goal, were it not for that offside flag, you know, that kind of slightly diminished the celebrations and stuff. What a goal. What yeah. a team move from yeah. back to front. And, you know, he's got the goal, the flag went up and it was like, ah, oh, and, then, and then it was obviously given. It, it spoiled it for me. And then we, the second, the, the third goal as well, quickly. It will be his little yeah, back heel for back McNeil. Back some great football. There was a great, some great football by, by Everton. Having a, an athletic team that show their incredible energy, they've showed that Everton in recent weeks, even though they've lost some of the games. You can see the energy in their side that, that he's created. You know, a Wobi, I for so far this season, I, I was looking at, I was doing my team of the week. I've had a Wobi in three or four times. Because of how much of an impact he's made. I had a pal who's a big Arsenal fan. And he used to call him, he won't be. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he said to me, he won't be. He'll never make it, right, as an Arsenal fan. And I laughed because it's, it's a funny line. And then when he went to Everton, I think the Everton fans thought he won't be. Now, I'm telling you, he can be because he's really come on. <laughs> I think one of the reasons there wasn't that big pressure on Frank Lampard is the three defeats in a row were against Manchester United, only by a goal, a 2-0 defeat at Tottenham, 1-0 against Newcastle as well. So um, I don't think there was that big, big mm. pressure because of the opponent. I actually think this win will put some some credit in the bank because of the nature of the victory played well scored good goals that you mentioned a 3-0 win against the Crystal Palace side that was perceived to be you know very upwardly mobile the next sort of what four Premier League games will be interesting um, Fulham away Leicester City at home they go away to Bournemouth they've got Wolves at home um, in the middle of there they'll, they'll play an EFL Cup game against Bournemouth as well but Leeds I know that goes right up to Boxing Day so again it'll be over mm. an elongated period of time but if those four games go badly then you'd imagine there would be big pressure on Lampard I should say Leeds on the other hand they've got Liverpool and Tottenham away either side of Bournemouth at home so you know he's, Bielsa, undou he's undoubtedly the one who's, who's closest <laughs> to, the, to the end they'll, they'll pick up points they'll, they'll continue getting a good return I, I see a different energy about Everton Just about time uh, to talk about Newcastle, who were into the top four. They went to Spurs and won 2-1. It was a pretty debatable incident that led to their first goal. Callum Wilson colliding with Hugo Lloris. Uh, Tottenham weren't happy. Antonio Conte not happy about this. Hugo himself. Did anyone think the goal should have been disallowed? Well, no. I wish it, I wish it, I wish it had been because um, anything against sports washing is good, good for me. And uh, <laughs> but I, I, so even with that hat on, I couldn't see how it should be disallowed. I thought, I thought it made Larice look um, mm. rather pathetic, actually. 
<laughs> yeah, he's waving his hand like his, you know, me, referee's me. crazy. Like, no, it was, it was, yeah. it was poor goalkeeping. And Callum Wilson was right. He's like, what would you expect me to get out of the way? Like, yeah. I, I can't get out of the way. We're both yeah. running to get towards the ball yeah. and we collided. So I it thought was Callum Wilson was quite polite, actually. Yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think, I think it might have been disallowed had he just run full pelt into Hugo Lloris. Yeah. But he, he did everything up. he could to yeah. slow down yeah. and the Reese just carried through into him. So good, we cleared that up. I mean, I don't think it was, it was in debate, really. Maybe it's just me, but I've always felt that Tottenham could never challenge for the title with Lloris in goal. And some people say, well, it's won the World Cup. Yeah. Well, World Cup is a cup competition that you were in a very, very good team and one of the best teams around certainly at that time in exactly so it doesn't matter no no <laughs> I just I just don't I see I think he look the game before he's played against Man United he pulled off save after save after save and kept the score down to 2-0 but Loris will do what he does quite regularly the second goal was even worse for me because he's tried to pick out a pass that isn't on that is not on that ball. And he's not good enough with his feet to be able to do that. All right. Okay. That's Hugo Lloris putting his place. Uh, what about Newcastle United? To go back to the topic on, I guess, managers who had been under pressure. We know why the, the big money spent, the new takeover, I think, alleviated that pressure on Eddie Howe uh, in the new year, in January, in fact. But ultimately, now they look like a side that, that could do something to stir things up at the top of the Premier League sooner rather than later, um, ahead of schedule, if you like, in terms of the sports washing project Alison mentioned. Um, but how good are they? You know, in terms of what we see out there on the pitch, uh, four wins, five draws, only one defeat so far this season. Yeah, and that was a 98th minute winner at Anfield. Um, they're just so hard to beat. They're not conceding goals. They've conceded the fewest goals, conceded 10 goals. Um they look like a well-coached team. Like no matter what you you look at the names on 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 the team sheet, and they don't look like a team that are going to challenge for the top four at all, in my view. But you look at them as a collective, and the way that they press, and the way that they they defend as well as a kind of unit, um, and the way that they now actually are starting to control games with players like Gomares. Um, and the way that Wilson is really kind of looking like a player, like a, a proper number nine that can score the goals that'll that'll see them climb the league. Like there's always going to be caveats. He's he's injury prone. Um, can Almiron keep up this kind of this kind of form because we've never seen it before? Um, I, I don't think they're going to challenge for the top four, but they are certainly ahead of schedule. And as I say, mm. it's it's actually the biggest thing is. It looks like a really impressive feat of coaching by Eddie Howe. Yeah, absolutely. He's changed goalkeeper, back four, added to the midfield. Uh, players that, like Joe Linton, who covers every blade of grass, has been superb for for Newcastle in that area. I think Joe Willett comes in and does another, again, energy. Um, Botman's done terrific from Lille. I saw a lot of him at Lille when he was always a very... He comes through the Ajax Academy, you know, of getting the ball, playing it and being comfortable. He's six foot three and he's a he's a hell of a beast of a player. Um, and I just think they've got a wonderful attitude to everybody. If you said to me the team from, you know, from the goalkeeper to the back line, midfield and forward line, who gives so much, I'll put Newcastle up there. The actual whole team is exceptional. Every one of them covers the other player on the pitch. Yeah, I think they were absolutely fantastic. Again, the coordinated press from the far front. Um, Miguel Almiron, another goal. I still think Jack Grealish was right on the day he, he said what he said. <laughs> Officially, he couldn't see into the future, so I'm not criticising him for that. Um, but I do think it was interesting to hear what Antonio Conte said afterwards, just to reflect on Spurs. Uh, Alisson, um, Spurs cannot work miracles, says Conte. We need time and patience and also for sure, money. There's this push and tug thing going on between Conte and the board and it's always there and I think we're all going to get really bored of it actually. There's this constant narrative which is fed. I don't know if it comes from him or his people which is it's his project and the minute he doesn't feel in control of the project he's gone. Mm. There's a very temporary air about Conte. So when they're winning and he's you know running up and down the touchline looking like he's the most passionate coach you'll ever see in the history of coaching that's great. He's like it's like one like a sport child in some respects. They're just lovely when everything's going well, but when it, when they're not, he gets quite moody, makes complaints, and immediately paints it as the club not being ambitious enough. 
there was enough out there, there really was enough out there on the pitch to have got a result against Newcastle. Like you were saying, Gregor, you look at the lineups. Absolutely. You know, yeah. the, who, had, who would you who would you rather have in your team? Almost almost all of the Spurs Absolutely. players. Absolutely. And they had they did have depth. They do have depth on the bench. Sure they have some injuries and but everybody does. And I do think they have more than anyone else. So um, there are a few and there are a few things you think well they, this is surely down to Conte and not the club's ambitions something like why isn't Son as effective week in week out as he has been in the past he seems to be going in spurts I, I don't you know is that down to where, how he's playing is that down to what he's being told by the manager is he restricting him in some way because he, he can be quite you know attention to detail and restricts some sense of flair sometimes so I I think if there's a problem at Spurs it's that they need to have this continuity of approach as opposed to when they win it's like fireworks go off everything's brilliant everything's superb and they're going to win the title they're going to do well in Europe it's going to be amazing and the minute they don't the minute they don't it's oh, the club doesn't have ambition and this this is the constant narrative now coming out I suppose and that, and that will have the long term effect of being debilitating so that they don't achieve anything domestically or abroad can I just add to that well, if we've done a composite between the two teams I ain't changing the goalkeeper I've having Pope I'm having Trippier at right back. I'm having Botman and Shah at centre-halves. I'm having the left-back as well, Dan Byrne, who, by the way, I thought was terrific yesterday as well. I'm me For me, I don't get how Spence hasn't been given a chance. You know, they've had all these changes in wide areas. Spence was brilliant for Nottingham Forest. Why hasn't he played? Why hasn't he started? You know, in, in this Tottenham team that quite clearly are not as good... I, I said a lot last week about Spurs. I found them a hard watch. You know, and... This week has sort of justified that. Their, their get-out is always the front two. If they didn't have anything close to what Kane and Son can do, this team would be mid-table. It really would. The midfield is a strange midfield. Ben is a very good footballer, but it, it just doesn't feel... Uh, there's something not right. Uh, the continual passing between the two centre-halves is relentless. That I feel they slow the game all the time, where... I, I used to get annoyed when um, Matip and, and um, Van Dyke used to do it at Liverpool because I think Liverpool at their best, they move the ball really quickly from the centre-half position. And when they don't, they look quite a lethargic team. Now, watching Spurs, that's exactly what I feel about Spurs is why they're a hard watch because they take a long time to get things forward. Kulisevsky, I mean, we've said it before, he's such mm. an important player now and you see that more and more when he's, when he's not in the team because he is the player, the link player, I think. He's a player who can hold the ball up and, until other players join him and attack. Um, he's the player who can spring or whip the crosses in for for Kane and and so on. You know he's he's really important and he's you know they miss him terribly just now. But the other thing that just leaps out for me is for a manager that's so wedded to a certain formation and style of play, i.e. having wing backs, he doesn't have. I don't think he has one wing back out of five that he wants to play really. I think Perisic is the closest thing mm. but he's a 33 year old converted winger um, why has Spence not so, played then Gregor it wasn't know. his player I don't know he came, on, to well, be, he came on the other week but he's gone back to Emerson Royale now mm. and Doherty played uh, did not yeah, bad when he stepped yeah, in yeah. so he's obviously not happy but with I, him. I was surprised to see Doherty ahead of Spence a new signing who played <clears> great last season but the fact remains he's not happy with any of them so <laughs> He's, he's, he's so wet for someone so wedded to a certain yeah, way of that, playing. This is permeating the club, I think. This sense that he's not happy. It's not quite good enough for him. Do you mm. see what I mean? I do, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's always like the club's got to keep pace with Conti's ambitions, basically. Yeah. Instead of him reveling in what he's got. And he has a lot. And he has more than, than most. many of his predecessors who live It's quite, quite ov obvious from the outside. This, this was the problem at Chelsea. You know, that his demands on Chelsea as a football club were always way more than the owner who did invest incredibly at Chelsea. It felt like it was the common theme for him at a club. He, did, he left Inter. He only left Inter because he was owed money. If you read the story from Italy, he was owed money, so he didn't leave it Inter immediately. So yeah. he waited for that. Then he decided that's why Tottenham couldn't get him in the summer. I think it's, um, it's proving to be true what a lot of ex-managers have said about budgets and spending doesn't matter how big the club looks how great the stadium and the training ground are you need to spend to stay at the top of any division that you're in and Tottenham just don't spend those high levels we should just add that they're third 
<laughs> and they're top of their I think they're top of their league in the in the Champions League league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like it's it's a strange kind of we're talking about the that the kind of atmosphere and narratives around football clubs and how important it is. It is important. I don't think this is going to be sustainable really if they don't do something to Well Richarlison was sixty million fans a bit more. Richarlison was sixty million. I mean Longley, I'd seen at Barcelona numerous times. I can't believe they signed Longley. He's not a good player. But this is what I mean. You know, you can you can mention the the, the figure that they spent for a Ch- for a Charlison, but the other players that they're bringing in, they're not bringing in of the either the quality or you know Perisic is a free, Longley's a loan, Spence was a is an up and coming player who the club were having to spend twenty million on because they probably think they either get a, a, a long term player or they get most of that money back because he's he's young and he's he's English. Conte immediately came out and said it was a signing for the club. Hmm. We'll see if he's basically any good. Um, who else came in this this summer? Uh, Yves Basuma wasn't a huge amount of money, was he? So, 25 million? It's not huge. Okay, you know, it's, it's not, but you, you know, you put it all together. Look, yeah. The bottom line is... What, what are we talking, what are we talking there? Think, We're not I even think, talking 100 million. I think both things can be true. He, he says, I think he said this morning in, in the papers that he thinks he needs three, three transfer windows. And that might be true for him to get... It was, it, it was two at the end of last season. Now it's three. I'm yeah, pretty sure it's three. three. In three, that, in three that may be true for them to compete, in th- in three, to really compete for the league. No Kane there mid-table. I'm telling you. In three transfer windows, he won't be there. So maybe it was like, for me to truly be happy, we need three transfer windows because I'll be with my feet up in Milan or something like that. Maybe that's what he meant when he said it. But it's not sustainable to constantly complain. Yeah, you've got to... You've got to everything's about balance. You've got to find a way to, to keep yourself in a good position in the job it's too. like he's terrified that people are going to say oh you know top of the Champions League group third in the table that's not that's not bad it's like that would he would hate that so much because that implied mediocrity or settling for something that isn't the best there's it's, very little pragmatism there it's not sustainable to constantly complain goes fully against everything I've done in my career <laughs> to this point Alison it's working out okay for me so I'm going to keep it going anyway uh, Gregor Robertson Tony Cascarino Alison Rudd thank you for being with me thank you all for listening as well loads of great stuff in the game this week so make sure you check it out on the Times app uh, go to the times.co.uk forward slash the game loads for us to discuss on Thursday as well we're building up to the World Cup I'm looking forward to it we're going to have oh, I might as well break you the news now we're going to have daily shows for you uh, throughout the tournament as well I'll be in Qatar Tony will be in Qatar I don't know what we've got planned Tony Um, no parties apparently that's all we know Um, but yeah we'll have loads for you in the coming weeks as well so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast get those notifications on as well you'll get each episode as soon as they're released we'll see you soon listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.